Hey, folks. As usual, politically charged legal issues are making the headlines, and Ann Milgram and I will try to make sense of them. After talks broke down in Congress over coronavirus relief stimulus package, President Trump took executive action designed to deliver aid directly to Americans. But his actions have raised questions of executive overreach and received criticism that they don't provide much relief at all. Meanwhile, former White House counsel Don McGahn, a key figure in Mueller's investigation, is back in the news. The full D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled that the House Judiciary Committee can enforce its subpoena of McGahn, who Trump has blocked from appearing before the committee for over a year. And New York's Attorney General has filed a lawsuit seeking to dissolve the National Rifle Association. I discuss all this and more with Anne on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're making a clip from the most recent episode available in the Stay Tuned feed. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, including the newly launched United Security podcast with Lisa Monaco and Ken Weinstein, Try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email qualify for a special discount. Head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a special rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as part of the insider community. So here's a question from a listener that gets us into our next topic. This is from Mary, who writes, love your show. I understand it's not a federal case, but I would love to hear your take on the legal action taken by the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, against the NRA. Thanks, Mary. Big action taken by Tish James. Before we get to what she did with respect to the NRA, my observation is the evening before, the Attorney General's office in New York issued a press release saying there was going to be an announcement of national significance the next morning, like I think at like 11 a.m. And what's interesting to me and we can discuss what it says about the state of members of the public and their need and desire and wish for some savior to deliver them from Donald Trump. Twitter, social media, news accounts, blogs were awash with a frenzy that here at, lo- at long last was a state attorney general who's going to do something like indict the president of the United States. Which was bizarre to begin with because the state of New York AG does not have that power. The state AG has very limited criminal power. People cling to the hope. They cling to the hope of Bob Mueller, to whom they lit candles. They, they have clung to the hope of the 25th Amendment. You know, even though we're on the eve of an election, it's less than 90 days away, lots of people still think, well, you know, maybe there can be a lightning strike from heaven from some prosecutor's office by analogy, and get rid of the president or harm the president. The only thing that's going to get rid of the president is an election that is that is overwhelming in November. Yes. Yes, I think you're right that people were sort of, there was also a lot of weird speculation about it relating to the Manhattan DA's investigation. And it just, it didn't, it, it really didn't make sense. And so that day, Tish James, the New York AG, announces that she's brought a civil action under her authority, essentially, as overseeing charitable organizations in New York State. So I oversaw this charitable organizations when I was AG in New Jersey, and this is a pretty common AG role. There's a a law in New York that's basically, that looks at, you know, overseeing not-for-profits and estates and basically, you know, the public charities laws. And so there are a number of things that groups that want to be registered as charities have to do and follow. And I think we should break this into a few different buckets, but one of the things that I was pretty stunned by, and some of this had been reported before, but was the extent of the fraud and the level of corruption of the executive vice president, Wayne LaPierre, 
the general counsel, John Fraser, the former chief financial officer, Woody Phillips, and the former chief of staff, Joshua Powell. There's like this, and this has been an 18-month investigation. There's been, uh, per, you know, sort of, I, I don't even know how they got to this amount, but millions of dollars spent in town cars and, and travel expenses, travel consultants, basically all gifts, all these, a safari that Wayne LaPierre went on with his wife in Africa, all these sort of sweetheart contracts where they got no-bid contracts to continue consulting relationships with the NRA. I mean, just just the kind of stuff that you and I would look at in any type of financial fraud case, and it would just be like, you know, alarm bells would be ringing because no legitimate justification, no board approvals, personal use. I mean, the kinds of things that make very, very strong criminal prosecutions. This is not a criminal prosecution, though I think Obviously, there's a lot of evidence here of financial fraud against the members of the NRA, essentially. Basically, I mean, the, the accusations really are that people were paying dues to the NRA and the leadership, the sort of executive leadership was stealing that money for their own personal benefit. Can I make an aside that's not about the law? Yeah. Because obviously, you know, the NRA is a controversial organization and people feel strongly about gun regulation and about how much influence the NRA has over politics. So there's a political aspect to all of this. Is it odd to you that given how concrete the allegations are and how much documentary evidence there appears to be, whether or not at the end of the day the NRA is dissolved, whether or not at the end of the day there's a criminal case, I'm hearing the deafening silence of all sorts of supporters of the NRA, including people who pay dues to the NRA, the silence of them not being upset that the leadership seems to have been bilking the organization for personal benefit and lining their own pockets and living a lavish life. Where is that outrage? You know, the, the complaint on its face has nothing to do with guns. It has nothing to do with the policy positions of the NRA. It's a pure and simple fraud pocket lining enterprise by the leadership, especially Wayne LaPierre at the NRA. There's no political aspect to it, at least in the text of the complaint. You would imagine that if the same kind of thing was happening at the head of any other nonprofit organization, liberal, independent, think tank, conservative, whatever, and there, were, and there were credible allegations of this kind of fleecing of the organization, that the rank and file would go bananas. And not only the rank and file, but other public officials as well, whatever side of the political spectrum they're on. And instead, in the face of these detailed allegations, you have people like the governor of, of, of Arkansas, Hutchinson, saying, hey, if you don't like New York, come to Arkansas. You know, a welcoming gesture. Or was it Texas also? I think, I think, I think multiple states. I think multiple states. What, 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 is the, what is the reason why people who are otherwise supportive of the mission of the NRA, and you can be or cannot be, seem to be so dismissive of these... Why can't they be mad at Wayne LaPierre and the leadership and want them replaced and want them to be held accountable and then separately support the mission of the NRA? I don't really follow right. that. So I think I think my reaction to the whole thing, well, my first reaction is where I started, which is just that it is a, a pretty stunning level of abuse and theft from the organization, right? I mean, it's there are just so many different examples detailed in the complaint of ways in which the sort of four C-suite level executives of this organization. Forget politics for a minute. This could be a business. This, you know, this is a nonprofit organization. The way that they essentially raided the organization for their own personal benefit and profit. And it is really, really 
significant that they have taken out so much money. They've been just in constant legal battles related to this. They've spent, I think it was something like $100 million on litigation. And so they're essentially bankrupt now, as opposed to being an organization that once exerted huge amounts of political influence. And they are a political organization. We should say that they're C4 and their right to be a political organization is very, very clear, right? So, you know, there are political organizations on the left, political organizations on the right. This happens to be a gun organization. And I agree, like just putting aside how we feel about, about that for a second, the charities law really is meant to be sort of evenly applied. And the fact that people don't understand the level of abuse is troubling to me. The one question I will ask you, Preet, and the one thing in my mind, I mean, I think that there's two really fair questions that people are asking about the litigation. One, and I want to come back to this, but whether or not the AG should have sought to dissolve it. And I think that that is a really important thing for us to discuss. But the other piece that I was a little bit stuck on is that if I were sitting in my chair as AG, and there were times that we had to, we, there were times that we basically said that charities, we were revoking their license in New Jersey, that they weren't going to be allowed to basically go out, that we were going to, you know, sort of require reorganizations and such. I mean, this is, you know, charitable organizations can very much take advantage of people for all the reasons we know. But this investigation went on for 18 months. And then they drop it in the middle of August before the presidential election. So whether or not the investigation is political or not, the timing just doesn't feel right to me. And I personally think I would have waited. And I wonder how you feel about this. I think I would have waited till November, particularly given what is a very aggressive and it looks to me legally supportable, potentially legally supportable ask to dissolve the entire organization. Like that's that is that is the ultimate sort of hammer under the charities laws to basically say we're dissolving you because we don't think there's any version. There's no way for new leadership to come in and fix this. Remember, the, the, the New York Attorney General's office already did such a thing with respect to the Trump Foundation. Yeah, I think it's a little different, though. I think it's different. Look, on the question of not everyone's going to like this on the question of whether or not it was legitimate and appropriate to go after the NRA in this way and on these grounds. I think lawful, not unethical, but there is a question about the propriety of it because while it is true, as I said earlier, that nothing on the face of the complaint in the text of the complaint is about the nature of the NRA's work or its ideology or you know, the, the gun rights, Second Amendment work that it does, no logical human being can think that did not enter into the mindset of the Attorney General of the State of New York. And you can say that's okay or that's not okay, but there's a piece in the Washington Post by Ruth Marcus, which really made me think about this. And Ruth Marcus begins by saying, she's a noted liberal, I think fair to say. She begins her op-ed by saying, quote, I loathe the National Rifle Association. With its reflexive opposition to even the mildest gun regulation, it is complicit in the deaths of thousands, end quote. I sort of feel the same way. Me too. I feel the same. And yeah. lots of people on one side of the political spectrum feel the same way about the NRA. It is, um, I think, a harmful organization that has strayed very, 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 very far from its original mission that related to gun safety and some other things. But Ruth Marcus also then says, quote, the NRA has a First Amendment right to its misguided understanding of the second. Forcing its dissolution has disturbing implications, made even more disturbing by the fact that the attorney general seeking that step is a Democrat who vowed during her campaign to, quote, take on the NRA, end quote, and labeled it a terrorist organization. 
in this country, we don't go after entities because of what they advocate, end quote. Not everyone's going to like that position because there are people who say, well, you go after an organization because there was fraud and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, but I wonder if people would feel the same way if you had an aggressive attorney general of a state going after a liberal organization when they really didn't care that much about fraud at the organization. I mean, in some ways, some people who I've seen on social media who don't like the NRA is like, you know, good for them. Those suckers deserved that kind of looting of their own money. And if a complaint against an organization whose politics you disagree with is a pretext for trying to dissolve something for that reason, because you disagree with them, is that right and proper or not? Right. And and I think, look, I think, I think you're raising exactly the right questions. And I also read that uh, piece by Ruth Marcus and thought it was powerful because, I mean, she's asking a very important question, which is basically saying it's not about whether you agree or disagree with them. And, and I know a lot of people will feel differently, but the charities laws apply regardless of politics. And organizations like the NRA, C4s, they're equivalent organizations on the left and the right. The thing I kept thinking about as somebody who's overseen charities is that as a rule, you, you know, there were instances when we took the most aggressive action, it was instances where charities had already been given an opportunity to reform or they'd been identified as being problematic and flagged for, and basically told you're going to lose your status unless you do this. Right. Like recidivists, like the, the people who are recidivists, yes, right? exactly. So I'm not saying in any way that they had to give a warning because this is rampant. But in terms of the remedy, to me, the question really is, you have people who are members of the NRA who are giving dues. And by all accounts, including in the complaint, are not, they haven't basically agreed to have the executive steal money from them and use the money for their personal gain. They basically are seeking to have an organization you know, basically do a certain mission. And so it just isn't clear to me that you can't require, I mean, the, the sort of first step in the complaint is dissolve, the the big ask is dissolve the organization, but the, the sort of subsidiary ask is remove those four people from their positions and have forced them to pay restitution and pay the money back. So I think the question in my mind, if I were sitting in the AG's office, would have been, if you Essentially, what if you require those four people to leave, pay back the money, and you do a monitorship of the organization? So basically, you're going to be able to like, they can put new leadership in, but you're going to basically monitor it for the next five years to make sure that it functions in a way that's consistent with all the charities laws. Could you actually allow the organization to function? And that to me is sort of where I think I would have started or thought about it. And again, I'm not saying it's not lawful to seek disillusion. This is rampant fraud. But you are setting a precedent that the answer to basically thefts by the senior executive committee, and look, we've seen this in businesses, we've seen this in charities, like this is, it does happen, that the answer is to completely dissolve it. There are some folks who have suggested that uh, James might have put it in as a negotiation tactic. I certainly, I, I doubt that, and I hope it's not true, because that's not the right, you know, I just would not agree with that at all. If she put it in basically thinking, well, I'm going to ask for disillusion and then I'm going to settle for the removal of the four. Public law offices are supposed to seek what they think is right and just and not engage in that kind of maneuvering, right? And I should say clearly, I don't take those allegations, those sort of assertions at face value, but a lot of sort of smart lawyers are writing pieces saying, well, this is probably to get a settlement. And I, I don't I don't agree with it. And if if it were true, which again, I don't think it is, I would, I would be disappointed in that because again, you should ask for the remedy that you think is fair. So look, we'll continue to watch this. I, I also sort of wonder in my mind, pre, like, did they give this information to law enforcement? Like, it feels to me like 
these are cases that are ripe also for criminal prosecutions. Yeah, I mean, people say that. People say that all the time. And, you know, I had a civil division and a criminal division. And some things, some things you just can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And you can't prove willfulness. And I imagine, and we didn't talk about it, we haven't seen an answer yet from Winlop here and the executives in the NRA. They're not going to surrender. Presumably, they have some defenses based on the bylaws of the organization. And even though some of the spending was exorbitant, I imagine that they will argue, maybe, you know, not credibly, but they will attempt to argue that these expenses were approved by the organization and deemed necessary by the membership, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you have some, you know, even face-saving defense like that, it makes a criminal prosecution even harder. I just want to say one thing that's the flip side of what I said before when we were talking about the Ruth Marcus op-ed. So it is true on the one hand that you just want to be a little careful about going after an organization whose politics you don't like and whose actions you've criticized substantively because it looks a little bit odd. On the other hand, it is also important to say that if there's rampant malfeasance going on in an organization, just because you disagree with them and just because it's a conservative organization, just because people might say, hey, this is a proxy for you're trying to destroy an organization you disagree with, just because those things are true doesn't mean you get immunity from accountability. It's not a get out of jail free card, right? So you know, there are two sides to the coin. You can't, you can't, you know, sort of go through life as the NRA thinking with impunity, we have a First Amendment right to do whatever. And so we can pillage and loot and steal from our membership because people like Letitia James and others shouldn't be able to go after us because they don't like the substance of what we do. And they don't like our interpretation of the Second Amendment. It doesn't work that way either. I agree. And so I guess all I'm saying is people need to be, you just need to be careful if you're a lawyer in the public trust as to what you decide to do, how you decide to do it, so that people have faith that things are being done for the right reason. Well, this is my point on timing, right? This is my point on timing, because I think that the public having faith is really important that, you know, she holds an enormous amount of power on behalf of the people of the state of New York, um, of which I am one. And I, you know, what you want to make sure is that that power is exercised in a fair fashion. And so my, my feeling is exactly right. Like, I believe the NRA should be held, like, the organization has to be a, held accountable. This is rampant fraud and abuse. The question in my mind is that it just feels much more political because of the timing. And I would guess that you know, they basically said they set August as a deadline to get this case out because September, October looks even more political. But it's still, in my view, it's too close to the election. It feels too political for a variety of reasons. And I would have preferred to have seen this two months ago or at the end of November. And I think that would have sort of, you know, changed the calculation a little bit of how people are reviewing the request. Again, I think it's totally legitimate to seek the dis dissolution of a charity. And it happens across America frequently. The, the question is sort of, you know, is it the right thing to do here? And what's the right outcome? And I want to make just one quick final note, which is people have compared this I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work.